Good morning, and welcome to the Vineyard. We're so glad you chose to spend your first Sunday of 2024 with us. It's such a privilege to get to gather together week in and week out. I'm gonna start by telling you a story. My very first memory of the Bible was when I was a very small child. My parents kept a large white picture Bible in their avocado and orange living room. Now, they had those couches. You know, the couches that everybody had in the 1980s. I have a picture to remind you. Now, these couches were so precious, people put plastic on top of them to protect them. You can say whatever you want about our millennial gray, but the 1980s had some serious design choices. Okay, so this is the actual Bible that my parents had on their coffee table in that room. And it was uh, many, many, many sessions of sitting with my mother as she read us stories from this Bible. And you always wanted to sit right next to mom so that you could see the pictures because this is a picture Bible and it had some incredible pictures in here. And so you really wanted to sit by mom because of course that was the best seat in the house. I fell in love with the stories from the Bible and the people that were in the Bible from Abraham to Joseph to Ruth to Esther to Jesus. I was exposed to the Bible at a very young age. Another way that I loved the Bible was through audio. Does anyone remember the book bags that used to be able to check out from the library? It had the book and then it had a tape cassette that you know someone would read you the book and then you put that into your Walkman and many, many car trips were spent listening to Bible stories. Now, if those sentences made no sense, go home and Google it, okay? It's a real thing, okay? We listen to these things called tapes. I loved the Bible. And I was exposed to the Bible, again, at this you know, tender young age. And now as an adult, I realize what an incredible gift that was. And I'm incredibly grateful to my mom and my dad for doing that. Parents, I wanna encourage you that your kids are watching and you have an incredible opportunity to show them the Bible. But the Bible didn't really become more than a book with cool stories to me until I was in high school. And when I was about 16 years old, my parents gifted me a Bible and it was the one year Bible. Now, this Bible is unique because it has a format built into its very design. This is the Bible broken down into 365 daily readings with an Old Testament, a New Testament, and a Psalm and a Proverb. And then throughout the year, you read through the entire Bible. You read through Psalms and Proverbs twice. This Bible literally changed my life because for the very first time, I was reading the Bible on a regular basis, allowing God's word to transform me. You see, as I invited the Holy Spirit to help me read the, these pages, he filled me and showed me that I could live differently. I could live empowered. Now, when I was in high school, I was an anxious test taker. I was a good student. Like I was kind of, I did my homework. I did the things. But when it came to the test, I was so anxious. And I remember reading my one-year Bible and allowing God's truth to fill my heart that he gives us peace instead of anxiety. When I was in college, I was a college athlete and I was a volleyball player. I was a setter and a team captain. And as I read these pages, I learned so much about servant leadership. That in the kingdom, in order to lead, we get down and we serve. As a young adult, I read this Bible and it really helped me hone God's voice in my life. It helped me determine 
what was God saying? What was he saying about who I was supposed to marry and where I was supposed to live and what job I was supposed to take? As parents, Mike and I have used this Bible and God's word to help us build a firm foundation. You know, parents, we need a lot of help. We need wisdom and patience and grace. And this book is full of that. As a disciple of Jesus, the Bible has transformed me and is transforming me. It is alive and it is active today. Do you know what the Bible says about the Bible? We find it in Psalm 119, 105. The psalmist writes that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It not only shows us where we're going today, but it shows us where we're going tomorrow. Now, this book isn't gonna take away the hard things that you're gonna go through this year, but it is gonna give you instruction. It is gonna give you direction as you allow the Holy Spirit to speak his truth as you read the truth itself, God's written word. We believe that God wants each of us to transform into the image and the likeness of Jesus. We have been designed by God to reflect Jesus, to be filled with his spirit, and then that's what's supposed to come out of us. And the Bible tells us that the fruit of his spirit is things like love and peace and joy, gentleness and self-control, patience. Are those things coming out of you right now? I believe that Jesus is inviting us into a season of transformation, and he wants to use this beautiful gift that he's given us, his word. And that's why I'm so excited to launch us into our brand new sermon series today, which we've called Transformed by Truth. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna explore how are we transformed as we engage with God's written truth. But first I'm gonna pray and invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher today. And so we say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome. We need you now to come and be the teacher, to give us ears to hear and to soften our hearts. Come and have your way in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, let's start with a little bit of the bad news. Transformation is tough. It's tough for a lot of reasons. I think it's tough because it's hard to quantify. It's hard to measure. It's hard to know, like, how does transformation happen? When did it happen? It feels often like an intangible goal. And so I think there's two things that we're going to want to think about and maybe even ask ourselves as we begin this journey of being transformed by truth. The first is this, where would you like to see change in yourself this year? In your health? In your finances? In your relationships? Where do you want Jesus to bring change into your life? I don't know your situation. I don't know what's happening in your life, but Jesus does. And I believe that there is an invitation to each of us to ask Jesus, where am I supposed to be focusing this year? What area or areas should I seek freedom in? So that's the first thing that we wanna do. Holy Spirit, where do you wanna transform me personally? And the second thing I think we need to consider is how do I plan on participating in transformation? You know, there's lots of ways that people can, can transform. There's self-help books, there's online tools, there's hacks, those are all the rage. Some are helpful, others not so much. But what I have found, and I don't know if you find this to be true, but I have found that the world is often discipling me. It's often influencing my choices. It's trying to tell me what to value. It's trying to tell me how to spend my time. 
And what I hate about the world discipling us is it's often so sneaky. It's just kind of built into the very fabric of our lives and our society. It's the news we read. It's the socials that we scroll. And suddenly we find ourselves being discipled or transformed and formed by the world. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be discipled by the world. I want to be discipled by the word. Because I believe that this Bible, that this book is one of the most transformational tools that God has given us. Now, I think we can be honest. There's some trouble with this book. Why? Well, let's just talk about a couple of the things. You know, reading this book is tough. It's tough because I don't know where to start. There's an Old Testament, there's a New Testament. How much should I read? When should I stop? How do I know what I'm reading? It can be tough. I think we should be honest. This book can be confusing and it can be boring. That's okay to admit, it can be boring. I don't know about you, but when I get to those genealogies, man, I'm so excited, my brain automatically stops working. And I start to read and it's like, uh, and I go, the next one is like, I don't, is, is it like a cult? Is it like a phenomena in our brain that my brain refuses to pronounce anything it doesn't understand? And then I just find myself like skimming, right? Oftentimes, when we're reading the Bible, we don't know the history or the context of what we're reading. And let me just tell you, if you don't know the context, it's easy to get conned. It's easy to get tricked and be confused. For many of us, when it comes to reading God's word, we don't have a plan, we don't have a schedule, and so it's extremely sporadic. And honestly, it's just not been that helpful. And then for others of us, I think that there is so much shame and guilt associated with this book because we've tried to read it and we've failed. And today I stand before you to say, let's let go of all shame and guilt. Let's say yes to this adventure that Jesus wants to take us on because we believe that we are being invited into an intentional season of transformation. Jesus wants us to grow up, grow up in our identities, grow up into our destinies. He has good things that he planned for us long ago. And so what are we going to do in 2024? We're going to go on a journey. We're going to go on a journey as a family. And as a church family, we are going to read the one-year Bible together. Now, some of you know this because we've been talking about this for a few weeks. And some of you began reading this week on January 1st. Amazing. That is so great. Some of you might have started this week and you missed a day. But if you miss a day, that's okay. That's okay, we're all gonna miss days. Some of you, this is the first time you're hearing about it and it's not too late to join. We have a Bible for you today. We are so committed to reading this together as a family. We have already given away over a thousand Bibles to our church family, yes, because we believe in this. And today at the end of the service, you can go out into the south entrance and you can get a free Bible from us. You can also join us online, we have an online um, tool that you can use an online app, a version app. And then today, the team has something fresh for you. There's two bookmarks if you want to read it in your own Bible. Okay, we have a bookmark that has like a little ticker that you can kind of follow along with it. Or we have January, February, and March written on a bookmark that can fit in if you'd prefer to read your own Bible. We want every single person joining in this journey with us because we so believe that Jesus wants to meet us with his transformation this year. We want to read his word. And so what we're gonna do for the first three months is that our Sunday messages are going to take something that we've read that week and dig a little bit deeper. 
And so that's what we're gonna do today. But before we get to that, let's just talk briefly about what is the Bible? And then what is the big story of the Bible? Because that's gonna help us as we engage fully in this process. And so what is the Bible? The Bible is one book that is actually 66 books. It's a collection of books that was written over the span of 1,500 years by over 40 authors. They were very different authors too. They were kings and scholars, but then there were fishermen, politicians, doctors, and all of these books combined create the Bible. Now, we're going to talk more about how did we get the Bible, what are the origins of the Bible throughout this series, but what you need to know is this. Although there are many authors, there is one architect. We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And what that means is that we believe that God inspired these pages. He wrote this through human means, and these are God's words and instructions to us. Now, throughout this series, we wanna really help you with extra tools because understanding the Bible and engaging with the Bible can be tricky. And so our team has put together an amazing resource page and we have a QR code for you. You can go to this resource page at any time and it's gonna have extra supplemental things that you can engage with in your journey of going through the one-year Bible with us. One of the resources that's gonna be on this page is from the Bible Project. I love the Bible Project. They're an amazing organization that really helps us better understand the Bible. And so what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna watch a video on the story of the Bible, which when we understand the bigger story of the Bible, it helps us engage with God's word in a fresh way. So let's watch. The Bible's an important book, but it's really long. Yeah, it's a collection of many books written over a long period of time, but altogether they tell one unified story. So, what's the story of the Bible? Well, it begins by introducing us to a beautiful mind, the author of all reality, a being called God. And he has the power to take the dark chaos of the uncreated world and bring about order and beauty and a garden full of life. And to crown this accomplishment, God appoints these creatures called humanity. Or in Hebrew, Adam. And they're made as God's image. Which means that they're commissioned to rule this beautiful world on God's behalf by harnessing all of its potential and creating even more beauty and order. This is a story about humans using their power to do meaningful, life-giving work. But the question is, how? Yeah, humanity now faces a choice that's represented by a fruit tree. So humans could partner with God and find freedom by trusting in his knowledge of good and evil. Or they could seize power and define good and evil on their own, which, God warns, will kill them. And they hear the voice of a dark, mysterious creature that tells them the choice is simple. Take the fruit. It'll give you power and freedom to rule the world on your own terms. And so they seize this knowledge, and as a result, they become suspicious and self-protective. It leads to fractured relationships, violent power grabs, and ultimately, a whole civilization, Babylon, that has redefined evil as good. And so, God scatters this corrupted human project. And here the story of the Bible takes an important turn. We zoom in to the story of a man and a woman who come out of Babylon, Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, God promises that from them will come a new people, a nation that has another chance to make the right choice. And if they succeed, it will open up this new way forward for the rest of humanity. And this is why the rest of the Bible story is about this family. And it does not go well. Despite God's personal guidance, Abraham's family gives in to that same temptation to redefine good and evil on their own terms, apart from God. 
Even when their best people were in charge, rulers who loved God's guidance and had divine wisdom, even they gave in. And so Israel was warned by their own prophets that these choices would lead them back to Babylon, this time as conquered captives living in exile. And that's exactly what happened. So even with God's personal guidance, Israel fails. Who can succeed? Well, the prophet said that the story wasn't over. God's going to send a new leader to Israel to cover for their failures and to transform the people's hearts and minds so that they can make the right choice. And so the part of the Bible called the Old Testament ends and these promises are left hanging. And then the biblical story continues into the New Testament. We're introduced to a man who comes from the line of Israel's kings, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said that he was bringing all these promises to their completion. He confronted that dark, mysterious evil that all humanity has given into and resisted its power. And then he announced that God had arrived to rule the world through himself. Jesus taught about God's definition of good and evil, and he said that real power is serving others. According to Jesus, it's people who love the poor and even love their enemies. These are the kinds of people who actually rule the world. And that's confusing, but also really beautiful. And so is the claim that the story goes on to make about Jesus, that he is God become human, to be for Israel and for all humanity what we could never be for ourselves. He came to take the consequences of our evil into himself, and his sacrificial love proved more powerful than evil, than even death itself. So now humanity's presented with a new choice. Represented by a new tree. Stick with the old way of being human, or venture into this new way. And in the story, those who choose the way of Jesus find themselves energized by God's own power. People who know that they are loved and forgiven by God can become people who love and forgive others in return. The Jesus movement quickly spread throughout the world, forming these new communities of people who follow the way of Jesus. But they faced problems. There was persecution from the outside by people in power, and inside there was confusion, even compromise. Yeah, because following Jesus is really hard. And so the movement's leaders, called apostles, they wrote letters to comfort and to challenge these communities to stay faithful to the difficult way of Jesus. And they're called to hope for the day when Jesus will come and change everything. And so the Bible ends by pointing to the future day when all wrongs are made right, when evil is eradicated, heaven and earth are united, and humanity can rule the world together in the love and power of God. So there are so many powerful things that we could pull out from that video, but I think probably the most important is this idea that the Bible tells one story, the story of God's love for us, and that that love sent his son to not only save us, but to set us free. And that we then became who we were always meant to be as his children. And now as carriers of him, we are carriers of hope to a hurting and broken world until Jesus returns again. Understanding the one story of the Bible and the bigger picture is gonna help us. It's gonna help us when we get confused and when we need motivation. We should see Jesus in all of the Bible. And we're gonna talk more about how we do that. And so let's dig into what did we read this week? If you joined us starting on January 1st, you know that in the Old Testament, we read Genesis 1 till about halfway through chapter 18. If you didn't join, don't worry, this part is still gonna make sense and you can join in tomorrow. Tomorrow's Monday, January 8th, and you can jump in with the reading right there. Again, if you missed a day, that's okay. 
We wanna go on this journey together as a family. So let's look at what did we read this week in the book of Genesis? You know, that book, the book of Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It's a very important book because it really helps us understand our identity. Genesis can be broken down into two sections. The first section is Genesis 1 to 11, and that's the story of God and the world. And the second section is Genesis 12 to 50, and it's the story of God and a man named Abraham and his family. We're gonna talk more today about who Abraham is. Context is so important. And so I wanna give a brief overview of what happens before we meet Abraham. In Genesis 1 to 3, we read the creation story and when God created the whole world. And then by chapter 3, we read the fall where Adam and Eve choose to sin. Our identity shifts, our relationship with God is fractured, and our destiny is stolen. It's given to the enemy and all seems lost by the third chapter in this book. But there is a sliver of hope. God promises to send a redeemer who would make things right. Genesis 3 to 11, we read a diverse set of stories. There were some crazy stories this week, if you read along with us. But there is a common theme to all these stories, and it's this. God keeps giving humanity a chance, and we keep messing it up. That's the theme, in case you missed it. God keeps giving us a chance, and we keep messing it up. You see, humans who live in this good world, through our own arrogance and pride and poor decision-making, We are just messing it up and all of this leads to broken relationships and conflict and violence and even death. And so a question is hanging out there. What is God gonna do? How is he going to fix this problem? And then God reveals that his plan to rescue and bless this rebellious world is through a man named Abraham and his family. Abraham's family would later be known as the nation of Israel and this family was to show the world who God was. We meet Abraham in Genesis 11, but his name is originally Abram. And we read this on Friday, January 5th. We find out in chapter 11 that he is the son of a man named Terah, and he's married to a woman named Sarai, and she's unable to conceive. They have no children. Abram and his family decide that they're gonna move. They were originally gonna go to a place called Canaan, but they decided to stop short and settle in a place called Haran, which is modern day Turkey. And while they're there, Terah dies. And so we're gonna pick up now in Genesis 12. This is the turning point in the book. Verse one, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. What we need to know is this. Land, family, and inheritance are the three most important things in the ancient world. These are the things that provide identity and security And what are the Lord's instructions to Abraham or Abram right there? He says, leave your native country, leave your family and go to the land that I show you. Those are some bold instructions. God's instructions here for Abram means that he would have to forfeit his security, his identity and his future and instead rely fully on God. And God doesn't even tell him where he's going. There's no like a location. It's just go where I tell you to go. These are very bold instructions. Now, what I love is that the Bible tells one story. And so we wanna go to another place in the Bible that talks about this. 
um, because it's just fascinating to see the connections. We're gonna go to Hebrews 11, and this is what the writer of Hebrews says about this decision that Abraham, or Abram, made. This is verse eight. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. It was by faith. Abraham is known as the father of our faith. Faith is gonna be a really important part of Abram's story. It's a really important part of his destiny. Abram, at this time, he trusts God. Now, while the instructions were costly, there were some incredible benefits. And what I noticed as I was reading this week was I noticed all the I will statements, how how God's promises are attached to him. He's like, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless you. God is going to do it. He is the one who all of this is going to happen through. And these are some incredible promises. Remember, at this point, Abram's wife cannot have children. And yet here, God promises Abram, he says, not only are you gonna have children, you're gonna have grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great, so many descendants that there's gonna need to be a nation of you. I'm gonna make your name great. And your family is not only to bless you, it's to bless the whole world. You see, what God was doing there was he was foreshadowing that it would be through Abram's line that the Savior, the Messiah would come, his name is Jesus, and he would bless every single person in the world. Abram is 75 years old when God gives him these instructions and promises. And then as we read over 12 and 13 and 14, lots of stuff happened. And I don't have time to fully go into it, but let me just summarize briefly. So what ends up happening? Well, Abram does obey God and he goes to the land that God tells him to go. And that land is Canaan. When he arrives, there's Canaanites living there. There's people living there. But God says to Abram, no, this this land, it's for you and your descendants. I'm gonna make a way. Well, what ends up happening is there's a drought and a famine. And so they have to go to Egypt. And when they're in Egypt, Abram makes some poor choices, including saying that his wife is his sister. And he did that to try to stay out of trouble, but really it just created more trouble. And then he comes home and he has trouble with his nephew Lot. And so he tries to like move Lot and his family like away in a different area. But then Lot gets in trouble with a group of kings and Abram has to raise an army. And then they defeat and he rescues Lot. It's like better than a movie, okay? There's a lot that happens. And then Abram has this incredible encounter with a high priest that blesses him in, in Genesis 14. And as I was reading these chapters, again, I was just struck how faithful God was. Even when Abram made mistakes, even when he did dumb things, God's like, okay, yeah, let's go this, okay. He's a good, good father. Well, yesterday, January 6th, we read Genesis 15, and this is a very important part of Abram's story. It's been 10 years since he was first given those instructions. He's about 85 years old at this time. And let's pick up in Genesis 15, one. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, 
Your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you'll have. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now you might not know this, but this is one of the most important passages in all of the Bible. And we read it yesterday. And so let's unpack, why is this so important? You know, God starts off by reminding Abram, I am your provider and I am your protector. And you know what? After this season, Abram needs that reminder. He he survived uh, Egypt, barely. He survived his nephew, barely. He's left his family. He's given up a lot and God promises him in this moment, everything you've given up for me, I will provide for you. I am both your provider and your protector. And then what I noticed as I was reading was I love Abram's brutal honesty back at him. He he doesn't pull any punches. He he says to God like, well, what good is that? What good is it that you're my provider and my protector when the one thing I want, the one thing my heart desires, a son, which has been promised, has not been given to me. It's been 10 years. That's a long time to wait, especially for a promise that's attached to something that gets harder with age, like having a child. You see, instead of holding on to that frustration, he brings it before the Lord with an honest heart. And I think this is a word for some of us today. I think some of us have been holding on to some frustration when it comes to promises that God has given us in our lives. And the invitation today is to not hold on to it, but instead bring it before the Lord with an honest heart. I found myself reflecting, saying, Lord, speak your truth to me over this. Because you see, here we can see the difference between a doubt that denies God's promises and a doubt that desires God's promises. There is a difference. There is a difference. And then God reaffirms, no, 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 this promise, it's gonna be your offspring. It's going to be through your own son. And then he gives them this incredibly beautiful illustration for Abram to hold on to. He says, Abram, look up, look into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you'll have. To a man who has no sons, your children will be as numerous as the night sky. See, Abraham, he needed this beautiful illustration. He needed to be reminded of God's promises just as we need to be reminded of God's promises because it's so easy to grow weary. It's so easy to grow cynical. It's so easy to think, I guess it's not gonna happen. But this beautiful picture, it would have been a nightly reminder as Abram waited on God's timing. What was Abram's response to all of this? How did he respond? The scripture says he believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. This is one of the most foundational verses in all of the Bible because it is one of the clearest expressions of the truth of salvation by grace through faith. Through our belief in Jesus, we are made right. It's not our behavior, it is our belief. And this little nugget of gold, centuries before Jesus was coming, 
was the foreshadowing of the incredible gift that Jesus would give us when he went to the cross and then rose again, restoring our righteous identity, giving us back what was stolen from us in the beginning. What I love is this connects to many New Testament passages. I'm gonna take us to Romans 4 because the apostle Paul talks about this. And I believe it's very important that we understand this is Romans 4, 19. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. Listen, it was recorded for our benefit, assuring us that God would also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. The, beautiful, the Bible is this beautifully intertwined book that tells one story, the story of King Jesus who makes us right. Abraham's belief was recorded for our benefit, showing us that God would also count us righteous when we believe in him. You know, as I was reflecting on the reading this week, I, I just found myself asking questions like, God, what promises have you given me that have not yet come to pass? Where do you want me to let go of frustration and doubt? Where are there places in my heart where you want me to step into belief today over myself, over my family, over this church, over our community? Where can I, like Abram, believe you? And then I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me afresh again, to help me believe in God and his good plan for me. So what about you? What promises has God given you? Where is God speaking to you as you engage in the truth of these passages? The Holy Spirit wants to meet each of us. I believe that our house is being called into a season of belief, that we would believe in God's goodness, that we would believe in God's faithfulness, that we would believe that he is the provider, that we would believe that he is the protector, that we would believe his promises. Each of us today, we have a choice. We can step in to belief this year. We can say, God, you are who you said you are. Would you join us on this journey of transformation? I believe Jesus wants to meet us in these pages. I believe the Holy Spirit has transformation for you wherever you need it. He wants to meet us today and this year. He wants his word to be a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. Would you stand as we head into worship? I'm just gonna pray and invite the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. The set today is beautiful and it focuses on King Jesus. And I just wanna encourage you to engage as the Holy Spirit leads you. So we say, Holy Spirit, you're so welcome here. You're already here. Come move more freely. Come break off our doubt and our frustration. Help us step into belief in 2024, just like Father Abraham did. We love you, Jesus. We welcome you into this space. Come Holy Spirit.